Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 2 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is the first part in our new series on Jerry Taylor, where we're going to be looking at her work as a television producer. I'm Mike. I'm John. And I'm Max over here. And we're joined today by Charlene of To The Journey. How's it going, To The Journey. To The Journey, yeah. I like the way you say that with such um, non-enthusiasm. Well, everybody does it so uniformly. I wanted to bring some variety to the table. I actually kind of dig it. It is different. Yeah, it's it's your style. I, I do enjoy it very much. Thank you very uh, thank you for having me, you guys. It's a real pleasure. No, yeah, I mean we figured it, it makes sense since you're a big fan of Voyager, obviously, and it seems like you're a big fan of Jerry Taylor. I guess we'll find out tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're bringing the experts, right? It's important. Mm, alleged expert, sure. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> I, I think that's legit. Humility is a virtue. Totally, that's great. Le- legit, alleged expert. Yes. All right. So Jerry Taylor, uh, she is probably most noteworthy, most noteworthily, the mostest noteworthiest, the mostest, the bestest, the bestest, most noteworthiest. She's the creator of Voyager. Uh, let's just say that she's the creator of Voyager, along with Michael Piller and Rick Berman. She was also the showrunner of The Next Generation for the last two seasons, for all intents and purposes. And she was the showrunner of Voyager, for all intents and purposes, for the first four seasons. In addition to that, or in combination with that, she wrote 30 episodes of Star Trek, 13 of Next Gen, 3 of DS9, and 14 of Voyager. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it but i mean really that's pretty significant oh and then she wrote a couple of books as well oh we'll come on. Later on she made a mark <laughs> too many things <laughs> it's, it's a lot of stuff she's a triple threat so let's just start at the very beginning with her very first episode of next generation which was suddenly human uh for those people who don't remember this is the episode where uh the enterprise i think they rescue a ship full of kids alien kids from a race which uh, had a conflict with the Federation at one point and wiped out a Federation colony of some sort. And one of the kids who they find with these aliens is a human kid who has been raised as one of these aliens. And now there's this whole ethical dilemma about whether or not he should come back and live with the humans or go live with his alien parents and who probably killed his human parents and, and all this other stuff. Yeah. It's a very... It's a very prototypical next-gen episode. Lots of sitting around, talking about philosophical uh, ideas and at the same ethical... Th- at the same time, it doesn't really have the prototypical next-gen ending where it actually works out all well and good, because it kind of doesn't. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So, Shar, what did you think about this episode? To be honest, I'm really neither here nor there on it. It's not a bad episode at all. It's not in my top 20 even but that said it has one very memorable moment that i just have to mention and that is of course wesley being hit in the face (laughs) with the banana split 
That's what I remember out of this episode. Yes. Yeah, that of is all things. that is the classic moment, I think. Of, I agree. Of the I think that moment is pretty hot too. <laughs> <laughs> and so for that alone, I think that's how Jerry Taylor got the job to stay on board Star Trek. I, I guess that'll do it, right? Very I well mean, earned, I would say. Yeah. 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 What, what about you, John? What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I agree with Char. I mean, it, it's this isn't one of the episodes where you're, you know, you're going to be like, "Wow, hey, this is, you know, you got to see this one." But at the same time, it's I think it's satisfying. They were willing to do something a little different. I mean, I think, just, you know, referring back to the banana split scene, it's something a little different. I think that it, it it's a good exploration of people coming to trying to figure out what it means to be human, you know, because like, how would you define it? And I think that that, you know, the episode, it's pretty interesting in that regard, in that you have to really think about you know, how would you tell somebody what it means to be human if they have no experience of being a human being? Yeah. Max, any thoughts? Um, in going back over next, like next gen and other Star Trek series, there are, there are certain things that get on my nerves. And one of them is a sort of neat pat endings to things and the, the lack of a, of a significant and positive resolution to this conundrum, I think is, really exciting to me i still find it really cool that there is this kid whose life just isn't very good and it doesn't really work out the way we want it to and he's not going to be the type of person we want him to be and that's realistic and i'm into that a lot and i really wish that there was more freedom to do that kind of thing throughout star trek because those moments they're kind of outliers and when they're in an episode that is sort of dramatically sluggish, it's frustrating mm. because you kind of want it to be like, you know, sometimes after the end of the space battle when they shoot the Romulans, they're going to go, hey, we kind of lost. <laughs> the colony's uh, in their hands now. Sorry, <laughs> we kind of screwed that one up. Maybe we should have just let them have it. Hmm. Yeah, uh, for for me, this is not one of my favorite episodes by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I don't think that it's bad. It's one of those things which seems to happen a lot with, with Next Generation for me, where while I'm watching it, I'm like, this is really boring. I wish they would get to the point. And along the way, there's so much uh, sort of like debate going on um, ethically and, and whatnot that it really sort of gets me thinking. And even though I don't enjoy actually watching the episode, <laughs> I find myself thinking about it for, like, the rest of the night, you know? So I guess yeah. that, that may be a, uh, a sign that, that it is... Uh, about the journey? Perhaps, perhaps. Um, that was but... for you! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Max. But, yeah, I mean, because of that, I mean, I, I, I have to say that it is a, a good episode, even though I don't like watching it. It's something that I would never in a million years be like, you know, let me put this on, you know? Yeah. And I did put this on in preparation for, for this episode, and I was watching it uh, while I was at work uh, doing some other stuff, and my coworker, you know, saw it on, and who, she's not, like, a Star Trek fan at all, and she's like what is this? What is going on in this thing? This is crazy, you know? And you were like, I'm I like, don't I, even know. I, don't I gave know. up yeah. a while ago. Pretty it's much, people, pretty much. Some of them were But I kept red. on thinking about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Like, if this episode were to say, be, just be on TV, if you're flipping channels and Star Trek is on, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't skip it. 
But then you know what? I'm not really yeah. going to seek it out yeah. either. This would be one of the episodes where if I was scanning the channels, wouldn't make me stop. I'll be I'll be completely honest. I mean, <laughs> it, like there, maybe back when it was first on the air, I would have stopped in a repeat. I'd have been like, well, probably not going to do much better than Trek. But in the in the era of like 700,000 channels, I would keep. I would probably keep moving on or put on a Star Trek disc. I'd be like, you know, I really got a Jones for Star Trek. I would, I, I think that this is one where like you can see it once or twice and then it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I, I got it. I, I got it. But, but it's a good start. And I think yeah. uh, when you look at it uh, sort of in, in Taylor's overall career, what, what you kind of see, or at least what I kind of see is someone who does understand what Star Trek is about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, while this one may not be the most satisfying a- a- in terms of an episode, it it does have all of the pieces there, um, and I think that we'll see going forward that she's able to do what this episode did in a satisfying way in an episode which would make you stop when you were flipping channels, and and a couple of those might be from Next Generation where you would stop would be Unification Part One, yeah, which would be the the sort of prelude mm-hmm. to Spock, obviously. And and Taylor also, yeah. uh, from what I understand, she was trying to get into writing novels, and uh, she was given the, the assignment to write the novelization of Unification uh, at this time. And uh, from what I understand, if I remember what I heard at some point, who knows where, this uh, was an episode where she was writing while writing the novel, and that caused a bit of a, a time hmm. crunch, which I imagine. Oh. She, I bet that was difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I she, mean, it's the same story, but two completely different methods of writing it out. Yeah. Yeah, not to mention that you're adapting someone else's work because she didn't write part two. You know, I mean, all that stuff. Right. Just, and the first time she's ever done it, I mean, that's crazy. She also wrote The Wounded, which is the introduction of the Cardassians, um, that's a, a very good episode, if you ask me. It um, is. Maybe her best from all of Next Gen. Reveals O'Brien as a serious racist. Yeah. <laughs> and and also that's kind of the uh, the intro to Deep Space Nine in a lot of ways. Like whenever I'm showing someone who's not a Star Trek fan Deep Space Nine, I'm like, watch The Wounded first, and then you can go on. Which is yeah. kind of interesting since Taylor didn't really have much to do with Deep Space Nine. Not really. And then she also wrote Time Zero Part Two, which was the sixth season premiere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there's some uh, conflicting views about Time Zero. Are you guys fans? I, you know what? I'll go ahead. I'll say that uh, Next Generation, they had a, a bad habit of kind of letting you down with the season premieres. And I think that this one is one of the ones that bucks the trend. Because I was actually satisfied with how they wrapped up a two-parter, like I, you know, going through the summer, and then when it came back on, like the the way they ended the Klingon Civil War was like, eh, and a lot of the a lot of the two-parters, I I always felt like they just rushed at the end. Uh, this one I felt was actually nicely uh, metered, it, you know, like it, it all worked out, and I think talk, you know, going back to sort of like the theme of exploring what it means to be human, the exchange in this with Troy and Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, where, um, you know, he said, I, th- I think he says something like, you know, that uh, maybe the future is worth giving up cigars for or something like that because he finds out that the downsides are gone 
from the society that he's used to. And he's like, oh, you know, maybe we need to make a little compromise. And like, I think that it really paints, it paints the fact that the future does have those trade-offs, but at the same time, it's, it's a good place to be uh, by the time it comes there. And so I consider that a, a further exploration of that theme of, you know, what it means to be human, you know, growing and, and getting better and figuring things out. What about you, Shar, are you a fan? Yeah, I am a fan. I, I like what you said, John, about the pacing of the this part two for Time Zero. Definitely much better than what they have done historically with a lot of those two putters. I definitely feel that a lot of them were way too rushed at the very end. Just all of a sudden, okay, we got to wrap this up, so let's shake it up and get it over with. And that doesn't happen with this one. And I think it's a good display of one thing that Jerry Taylor really does do best, and that is tap into some of the core meaning of Star Trek. I think, Mike, you said earlier, she gets Star Trek. I think she really does. She gets the message of hope, this better future. Um, That said, though, I think she's willing to take it just a tiny bit off the course of how idealized Gene Roddenberry wanted it, making it a little gritty, like with uh, The Wounded. I don't think Gene Roddenberry would have been too terribly happy with that, but she was willing to go there. But I think ultimately it all comes full circle because we see just how human human is. And Jerry Taylor's very good at touching into what it is to me human as well. Yeah. Max, are you a Time Zero fan? It, it's it's a solid episode. And and one thing I find very happy, very pleasant about it is that uh, the, the, it's very obvious that they have no idea where they were going with it. Except everything fits unbelievably well. And it's one of those things where the time travel actually makes sense. And I don't really have any mm. complaints about it. But, like, the Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain stuff, like him on the Enterprise, that is so weird. When I when I was watching this most recently, showing it to my fiancé, there was a part where I was sitting there saying, like, I know this is ridiculous, <laughs> but also, <laughs> wow, this is rad. Yeah. <laughs> like, Mark Twain is on the Enterprise. You gotta and, love like, it. it. It works. Like, Mark Twain yeah. as a person as a character that Samuel Clemens channeled for his life like it kind of fits like there is this moment where like like he comes out with this this like sort of like idealized humanism and it sort of comes out of nowhere like he 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 didn't come from a culture that embraced this but it was like just boom fully formed and it's like maybe he just literally went on to the Enterprise one day and came back it was like I've seen a glimpse of the future, and you should get on board because it's pretty dope. There are phasers. <laughs> I don't know how to describe them, but it's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think of anybody from that time frame, Samuel Clemens is the guy who would get it the best. Yeah. 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 That, that's fair. He was a good pick. And maybe it's because he had some exposure. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was just sort of a cynical jerk one day, and then like somebody came along and said, hey, space. Hey, historical records from that era are spotty at best. I like it. Time Zero for me is another one of these where I can't like point to any specific part and say, like, this is bad. But at the same time, I'm never compelled to watch this thing. But I do think that it's significant because it's the first episode of season six. And it's especially significant to, to Jerry Taylor because this is the first episode of the first season where she was essentially... Uh, the woman in charge. 
you know, she she was, for all intents and purposes, the showrunner of season six and seven of Next Generation. Michael Piller had gone off to work on Deep Space Nine and developed that. That was season one of Deep Space Nine. I mean, and the, while, not even for all intents and purposes. I mean, it was just literally true. For Yeah, I, I you know, I... I had always thought that she was, and then I was reading on Memory Alpha, and they're like, well, she, you know, stepped up her, her responsibilities in season six, and then season seven is where she really became the showrunner, and I'm like, let me just ask Larry, you know? I mean, come <laughs> on, right? Because he'll know, and he he quoted himself to me. He said, Pillar began staying out of the infamous writing staff break sessions until after the story had been hashed out in detail on the whiteboard. Uh, Basically, I approve the stories and give notes, Pillar said. They wrangle and I take the credit. So, I mean, Taylor was doing the heavy lifting in season six. And I think that that's really significant because, I don't know about you guys, but to me, season six is undoubtedly the best season of next generation and one of the best seasons of television history you know what what taylor did in season yeah. six i mean i that, i completely agree with you I, I i think season six is the best season of next generation hands down uh see, yeah. season seven there was even a little bit of uh i know a lot of people didn't want the show to go off the air but i remember at the time thinking yeah, it's it, it had ju- it had crested and, and it was starting. You could see the future uh, with it, and it felt right to bring it to a close. But I, I think that season six is definitely that pinnacle. And I think if you go back and you watch that season, I agree with you. It is it is hands down the best effort across the board uh, for 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 them. Just to give people an idea of of what was going on in season six, you've got Aquilics. <laughs> Fine. There's Aquiel. But there's also Relics, True Q, Rascals, Fistful of Datas, Chain of Command, Ship in a Bottle, uh, Tapestry, Starship Mine, Lessons, The Chase, uh, and then Descent Part 1, which say what you want about Descent Part 2, but Descent Part 1 is badass, yes. you know? I mean, yes, that is. is an amazing season of television. Um, yeah, you sold my, me. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what do you think, Char? I was contemplating this. I don't. I was gonna argue. Maybe it's not the greatest season ever. It's definitely solid. It's very good. But you just rattling off all those episodes is like, yeah, that's a good one. That's good. That's oh, I love that one. That's great. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, I think you might be right. I got to go back and revisit TNG as a whole. But really, the latter seasons, especially six now, just because man, that's a really good lineup. And and the thing about it is, and, and I think, I mean, I don't know, I guess we'll see as we're going through this some more, but I think it speaks to, to, to Taylor's strengths, you know, looking at like Suddenly Human, for example, and everything is, yeah, you've got Chain of Command in there and, and a few, you know, big marquee episodes, but you don't have the best of both worlds type of things. You don't have the redemptions. What you have is like little tiny stories, but they're like so good. You know, and I mean, yeah, true. She didn't write all of them or even most of them, but she was the one who was overseeing all of these youngsters 
you know, and, and, and supporting them and, and, and giving them the tools that they needed in order to tell these stories. And it would be, it would be ridiculous to credit one person with how great season six is, but it would also be ridiculous to say that it would be that great. Should you remove any of those people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, season seven, I mean, I agree with, with John that it it did take a, a bit of a, uh, a, a downturn, but not by much. I mean, season seven is the season that got nominated for for best drama from from the uh, Emmys or whatever they're called. Emmys at the yeah. a- Academy of the Cold, the Academy of Golden Emmys. There you go. <laughs> they they nominated uh, season seven uh, for best drama. That season included things like. Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. Which Jerry Taylor had a hand in writing. (laughs) Parallels, the Pegasus. Lower Decks. Lower Decks was awesome. Hey, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sub Sub Rosa, which I think she wrote herself, right? Mm -hmm. She wrote the story. And then Brennan Braga, I think, did the teleplay. Excellent. Uh, Masks. (laughs) Masks. (laughs) Yeah. I have the Beholder, Journey's End, you know, and then of course, you know, it ended with All Good Things, which is I, which is better than any Next Generation movie right. they made. That yeah. was All Good Things is just an incredible. I I remember. Oh my gosh, I remember watching that live and just everybody at the end of the episode saying how wow, like being so psyched about the idea of Next Generation movies. They were like, if they can do this, wow, what does the future hold for us? We were so naive. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. we walked right into the abattoir, thinking that that was where they were. You know, <laughs> I still say generations is better. You're but wrong. Do you deal with things. No, no. I can't agree no. with you there, Move Mike. On. No, accept the reality at yeah. hand. <laughs> I tried recently to rewatch Generations, and it was, I I can't, man. I can't. I I can't keep up the shrimp. I recently rewatched it too. It's not a bad movie at all. It's actually a sentimental favorite at this time of year. Like you know, it came out around Christmas time, so I kind of like to watch it around Christmas time. There there are positive aspects. It's not all good things. It's not like it's not like it's a bad dog. It's just not. (laughs) It's not. It's not a particularly good one. I mean, it's slow. It can't catch. <laughs> it, I mean, like it, it's got a short lifespan. I mean, it's. I mean, you still love it, but I mean, I mean, it's it's no Lassie. Yeah. It's no all I good disagree. things, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, me and Matt Hansen against the world on this one. I know this, yeah. but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. It seems like that's what everything in Star Trek is for me. So okay, let's move on then. Let's let's move on from all good things, and uh, you know, suck Taylor it all, didn't... Suck at everybody else who thinks that that movie's good. <laughs> Taylor didn't really do much on Deep Space Nine. I think that had more to do with timing than anything else. You know, when when Pillar and everyone was like, "Uh, we're going to do Deep Space Nine, Taylor was the one left to uh, fly the ship, the ship, the Enterprise D being the ship. (laughs) Yes. And and when that ended, uh, she she went right into work on Voyager. uh, So she never really had that that gap in between her next gen and Voyager stuff where she could do anything on deep space nine. And really the only thing that she did on deep space nine was, uh, help write the story for the Maquis, uh, which was the two parter, which set up Voyager. But the Maquis is also a really solid, uh, DS nine, two parter. Uh, agree. Max, what do you think about the marquee? 
The marquee? The marquee. The marquee. Sorry. I think the marquee is a marquee episode sequence. I think it's really good. <laughs> I think it's an, I think it's an impressive depiction of whatever whatever they were trying to do for Voyager, but it actually kind of made Deep Space Nine look awesome. And yes. uh, and yeah. uh, I mean it's I mean it's kind of it's kind of the Voyager thing to have a whole bunch of great things set up for them that they don't really use well. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I mean even I mean including the ship and cast. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's you know it's it's a great it's a great two parter. I mean it's it's actually just a great setting, which is sort of the frustrating thing because it's a great setting and it actually colors the entirety of Deep Space Nine in an interesting way. I mean, like, the Maquis, it's like, we're setting this up for Voyager, but we're also setting up this thing that represents something to a lot of the characters of Deep Space Nine. It's a significant thing to them. Even though it doesn't come up very often, it's important to note that this is a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. This is a reality at play for the entirety of Deep Space Nine. And they... I mean, until like basically the very end when it still matters, but they don't exist anymore. Like it's very significant. Well, John, you're you're a Deep Space Nine fan. What do you yeah. think about the Maquis? I love the Maquis. I love I love the the very concept of the Maquis. I love the execution of the episodes. Like, you know, uh, it, it'll be boring to hear me like sort of like ramble on about it. But like, just the I, I thought easily one of the most interesting and for me. Um, wonderful parts of it was weaving in the idea that uh, the American Indians, Native Americans were once again in danger of being displaced and like weaving that sort of thought in about the Maquis at like that real, that was a huge hook. So, so Char, as, as a, a Voyager fanatic, um, what do you, or how do you feel this episode or these two episodes uh, set up? what we see in Voyager. Do you think it does a good job? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dare I say it, it sets up a better scenario for the Maquis in DS9, just because it was so much better executed on Deep Space Nine than it was for Voyager. I know the intent was for Voyager, but DS9 took it and ran with it and did a fantastic job, whereas on Voyager, it totally fizzled. But that said, it's still a fantastic two-parter. I love it. Yeah, it is kind of like one of those things. I feel bad saying this here, but it's like Say it. set this up for Voyager, and then you know Voyager's like, "Hey, let's do this thing with these people," and uh, we think, "Oh, wait, here, maybe this will work." And then Deep Space Nine is like, "No, no, guys, look, this is how you do it. Look, let's let's we'll just <laughs> yeah. show you." And then <laughs> you know it hurts a little bit saying it, but DS Nine totally pwned Voyager when it came to the Maquis. <laughs> They really did. They're, that just yeah. That's fact. I mean, Voyager really had that potential to do something cool with the Maquis and the scenario with them having to group with Starfleet on one ship and make it work. And then what do they do? Alien of the Week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shameful. And I, and I always sort of blamed Voyager for that until uh, we talked to Larry at one point and he's like, well, they had a network and the network was giving them notes, and it's like, yeah. oh, of course. That's the of shitty course. thing. Duh. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's let's get into Voyager, though, because, okay. I mean, that's the big thing, right? Let's I mean, do it. that's what she's yeah. known for. I'm so, yeah, sharpened. Yeah. let's cut Deep this breath, up. jump in the icy water. Max <laughs> is so, ready. So, so Michael Piller obviously was, you know, the guy on, on Next Generation, and because of that, they uh, gave him 
the the task of creating Deep Space Nine along with Rick Berman, and that obviously went really well. So when it came time to create another show, uh, Michael Piller and Rick Berman were on board, but they decided to bring along Jerry Taylor, presumably because she did such an awesome job on Next Gen in Season 6 and 7, and Voyager was created by Berman, Piller, and Taylor. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, Taylor, she uh, wrote, along with Pillar, the the first episode, Caretaker, and she ran along with Pillar uh, seasons one through four. She stayed on longer than he did, but she essentially ran seasons one through four. And I get the impression that, especially with Pillar being spread so thin with, with Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and... Legend, which was a show which existed despite what Max <laughs> pretty sure that's not a <laughs> It was like what on it for existed. two weeks? It was on for a while. I remember it. But because <laughs> of that, I get the impression that Taylor really was sort of the driving force behind Voyager in those first four seasons. Well, yes, of course no. we can't blame her. We can blame UPN. There you <laughs> no, go. UPN. There's a lot of blame to be put on <laughs> UPN, yeah. Uh yeah, she and Michael Pillar essentially did most of the show running for seasons one and two. She took over full force for season three, and then she kind of took a step back for season four, and Brandon Braga took the top spot. And then after that, she really laid low, stayed on as a creative consultant through the end of the show, and then uh, went off and retired. But I'm getting way ahead of everything now. So Yeah, so let's go back to the beginning. I mean, let's, yeah. go, let's go back to Caretaker. Caretaker. Let's talk about it. Yeah, Shar, did you watch Caretaker live? Oh, God, you know I did. (laughs) I was anticipating this show with so much excitement because it was the very first show, Star Trek show, that I watched from the very beginning and really saw everything in, like, the Star Trek Communicator magazine and whatnot, all the previews that they had for this thing, all the buildup, was so excited. And so this was the one show of Star Trek that I watched from start to finish, the whole run through in first run that's how excited I was for it I never really quite fell off the wayside because I was a little too young for TNG didn't get on board with DS9 until the very end of season two and then with Enterprise I kind of fell off the bandwagon midway through season one because college Um, (laughs) so this was the one I really stuck with and for some reason I mean I don't know man I'm rewatching the Enterprise right now and it's not all bad no it's not no it's half bad But it is still Star Trek, and it's still interesting, and it's kind of fun watching brand new Star Trek when no one else, who you know, everybody else has seen it, and I haven't. So nanny nanny. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, John? Were were you there on day one? Oh yeah, no, I had a viewing party because that's what mature adults do: is they have viewing parties for Star (laughs) Trek episodes. With although I think we had alcohol at ours, so there you go. Uh, well, I was um, only 13, man, and I was watching it with my dad. Age is but a number. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we were sitting there watching it, and I remember everybody, every single person coming out of the episode and uh, re-watching it for this, I had the same feeling. Everybody came out of that uh, saying, wow, that was better than either Next Generations or Deep Space Nine's first episode. This show is going to just absolutely blow us out of the water this is fantastic we like we were all excited we thought it was the greatest thing we all fell off in time so nice we all fell off in time and uh, it just didn't 
I, I am going back, and I'm not doing like a sequential uh, rewatching, but I'm sort of like picking and choose. You know, it's on Netflix, so you know, go and pick and choose. But like, man, Caretaker had such like it, it made such a promise about what that show was going to be, and I remember watching the first episode and just absolutely loving it. Still love it. Uh, you know, yeah, it's not per- it's not perfect television, but it is it's well worth watching. It it, it was a great opening. Max, were you there day one? Totally. What did you think? I, I honestly, I don't really remember. Like that's sort of the thing. Like that era of Star Trek, I was watching Deep Space Nine whenever I could find it, and when I couldn't find it, I would watch it on VHS. Usually, the, a couple episodes in a row, um, randomly spotty throughout the year. It was a weird period. But Voyager was consistently on in the same time slot, and I watched it every week until I gave up on it. And it was the first Star Trek show. The first Star Trek show. Sorry, I'm ill. It was the first Star Trek show that I gave up on, which That's... I will always remember because that that was a very significant moment when I realized that I didn't have to watch it. <laughs> but now you it said like, you oh, could I... consistently watch it. Because that was very unusual with it being on UPN. I remember yeah. it changing time slots constantly in those earlier days because yeah. we didn't actually get UPN. It was we got it through local affiliates. Oh well, like no. the thing was, like they might have changed time slots and then like did that, and that happened a bunch of times over the seasons. But like you could still look up, look it up in like the TV guide, which was a document that was that was made back in this era. <laughs> It, it, it was on paper thing. on your doorstep. It, it was actually paper delivered by Woolly yeah. Mammoth, and you'd look yep. through the pages and find out when the episodes were on. And when you turned the TV on to that channel at that time, it was actually there, as opposed to Deep Space Nine, which was always a baseball game every single time <laughs> it was ever scheduled to be on TV. It was literally always a baseball game. I just gave up, and when I saw them playing baseball one day, I just assumed that it wasn't actually Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how it was in Chicago. We had very good training, so you know, finding Voyager was easy, 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 because we we had all that practice with trying to find Deep Space Nine. But I was there opening day. Oh, oh it's not opening day. Opening what is it? evening. Opening the premiere of the, the red of carpet the, out <clears throat> on the commercial of the Paramount Network. Who can forget yes. that day? Day one of the of the United Paramount Network. I, I was looking forward to this so much because that really was sort of like the height of my Star Trek fandom, you know, when Generations came out and everything. Yeah. I actually bought, and I, I assume at this point, illegal uh, copy of the uh, screenplay uh-huh. for for Voyager. <laughs> nice. Uh, Caretaker, yeah. uh, when I was at a convention, and I read it, and uh, this was like the first script I ever read. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. I remember, you know, talking to my friends about it. They'd be like, hey, you're the Star Trek guy. What do you think about Voyager? I'm like, it's going to be the best show ever. Look at what they're doing. This is amazing. (laughs) And I remember watching that thing. It was finals week in, in my first year of high school. And I remember watching it and just thinking it was the best thing ever. Like, I still to this day think it's the best uh, pilot of all the shows. And I, I loved it so much. You know, the next day I took my very first high school final. And as soon as I came back home, I put the videotape in and watched it again because it was that awesome. 
And I was planning on, you know, I mean, it, it sort of became a thing that that first mm-hmm. season where uh, I'd always go over to my, my friend's house on, I think it was Monday nights, and, and watch uh, Voyager. And then the two shows afterwards, you remember the two shows afterwards? There was the one yeah. with Liz no, Vassy where it was like a bachelor pad, right? And I, I do not remember. The, no. Like the pigsty or something like that? No, I, I don't. I, I don't remember right? at all. This is not a real thing. <laughs> I, making this I up. think you're hallucinating. Yeah. Okay, no. The first episode after Caretaker was Parallax, which was a bunch of sciencey techno babble where Bellana becomes chief engineer. I, I like that episode. And then after that, um, time and again, where I believe it's Ed Bagley, or it's Ed Bagley Jr. playing a nuclear terrorist guy. I don't know. It's, really? it's kind of a weird time hmm. thing, and it's got wormholes and phasers that's all i really remember and it doesn't matter because they press the reset button and nothing really happened so that 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 was a massive drop off right there yeah the the name of the show is what i don't understand what we're talking about right now are we talking about the the shows (laughs) that aired after caretaker or are we talking about the first two that aired right after episodes right after caretaker What yeah. I was talking about was the television show which aired after Voyager, ah. which was called Pigsty. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I, I don't remember that. Totally misinterpreted. God. No, okay. Yeah. It, it was. It was okay. called Pigsty. It was about like a group of like guys who are all forced to live together, and um, then they had like the the super was played by Liz Vassy. Who the That's... hell is Liz Vassy? Never mind. Don't explain. I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, it, it was it was it was a terrible show, but that was that. But yes, getting into to Voyager and what came after. One of the first episodes from that first season was Eye of the Needle, which, according to Geos and the IMDb, is uh, the best episode that Jerry Taylor wrote. Hmm. Do you guys agree? if it was the best no. that she wrote but i think it's a fine episode i just wish it wasn't six episodes into season one and they're doing a will they get home story yeah it's a yeah. fine story but it really should have been toward the end of season one if they really wanted to go there yeah. i think was it was it you guys somewhere who were saying like this should have been the season finale was it that one it could have been us yeah and i could have seen it as a season one finale sure yeah when you guys said that it was you on some podcast. I don't remember which one. <laughs> but when you said that, I'm like, that would have actually made total sense. Why didn't they do that? That Yeah, whatever. it made a lot more sense than Learning Curve, which is the one where Tuvok plays drill sergeant with a bunch of Maquis non-cadets. Yeah. And then they... At least it's not a will-they-get-home story. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes sense for a season one finale. Yeah, yeah well, Learning you know? Curve was never meant to be a season one finale. They were going to do the 37s, and then UPN wanted to open season two with it, and that totally didn't work either. Yeah. And yeah. Jerry Taylor also had a hand in that with Brian and Braga. Man, you gotta you got to say, UPN really ooped it up. Oh, they. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I really do think that they had a massive hand in ruining the show. I, just, I'm just saying that that's I what agree. ooped it up y- yeah. needs to be now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see that for sure because, I, you know. Schumacher you, really ooped up the Batman series. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't set up a, a show as well as, as uh, you know, Jerry John Taylor. And, that one. That was... <laughs> I did. And I, I had to suppress. I, had to su- I was about to go on the whole Batman thing. And I'm like, nope, wrong time. Wrong time. <laughs> 
But yes, it does make sense that that the show was ooped up by the the UPN <laughs> because Jerry Taylor and, and Michael Piller and, and and Rick Berman, you know, they set up this show and all of the pieces that they put into place make perfect sense. And it's no wonder that we all thought that this was going to be the best show ever because it was it all of the pieces were in place. Yeah. And then they don't utilize any of them and it's like what? Did they just forget? No, of course they didn't forget. Of course, it was the network who was like, yeah, yeah, do whatever you want at Star Trek. And then they're like, but, you know, next generation, though, right? Because, I mean, <laughs> right. right? 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 That's mm-hmm. what we're getting. That's exactly what they wanted. Yeah. Was, and you can tell. Yeah, and that's and why people I, call it TNG Light. Yeah. I, I still find it frustrating that they didn't just go, you know, we want to do TNG. Let's just do that. Let's just put them back in the Alpha Quadrant and give up on this dumb... Delp, you this, know what though this is nonsense we're not accomplishing anything by having them maybe get home every week but but the thing is i think voyager is all like it's not just a victim of the network but it's a victim of the time i really think that by this point uh star trek was like the nfl of science fiction television of almost all television really where it was just i agree like with the thing that you're saying <laughs> but no but but i mean seriously like it I was unwilling to give Voyager all of the opportunity that it needed. Like, TNG, if you go back to season one, we all gave it a big break because there were (laughs) missteps in the first season. There were missteps in the first season of Deep Space Nine. And I think that by the time Voyager got to the air, it was just, everybody was just tired. Everybody was so tired of giving the first season a shot. And I, I think that really hurt it more than anything else. Every single Star Trek series has, uh, you know, like an uneven first season. And I think that just Voyager is the first victim of, uh, we've all seen Star Trek, and okay, we get it. And, you know, that I, I think that that really contributed to everything for it. Well, what, do, what about seasons one through four on the whole in their place in Voyager? Uh, how do you think that the Taylor years stack up uh, next to the Braga years? And um, what, what do you see as sort of like the evolution of this show under Taylor's watch? That's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, I think by this point, Taylor was trying almost too hard with Voyager. She had put so much of her energy into creating Janeway, so much of herself into Janeway too, that I think it almost did Janeway a disservice. And I say that as a major fan of Janeway. I really do like the character, but she wanted her to be so good and she had to always be so right because she was the captain and they had this whole thing to prove with the female captain, yada, 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 that she became the Mary Sue. And Jerry Taylor Mm. had the tendency, unfortunately, in the early years of Voyager to embrace that. And she would do it by going about trying to make Janeway more human, like what she would do in her off hours. What is she doing when she's not on the bridge? Like she created the god-awful holodeck program in seasons one and two with those stupid bratty kids. We all hated it. Jerry Taylor loved it. She did not understand why that had such poor reception. (laughs) And she was trying to give Janeway a more human touch, but she was really hit or miss with this stuff. And so... She was either fatigued, trying too hard, something. She wrote really good stuff, and then she wrote some really kind of awful stuff, too. 
So, you know, it's kind of touch and go. Also, the big shift, of course, with uh, between Taylor and Braga. I think Taylor had the great idea of making Voyager a family as it went on. Season three was all about embracing that. And then I feel kind of like Brandon Braga threw that out a little bit in season four and wanted to do his own thing and have a little more action-oriented stories yeah, season four is probably a more solid, better quality season, but I guess it depends on what kind of Voyager you're looking for. Taylor kind of had her brand, and then future showrunners had their own. What about you, Max? Um, I, in, in, in analyzing Voyager, I have come to the conclusion that the entirety of it was a kind of poisoned chalice, um, mm. a gilded cage, um a terrible idea for a TV show that nobody should have signed on to because honestly at this point why are we doing this again? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, if you were, understand my metaphor. They were <laughs> um but it, you know, it's it's a, it's a, I think it's a mess from the beginning and and I think that part of the reason why it kind of started to work towards the later seasons is because people just said, "Hey, it's not going to be great." <laughs> Well, there is something to that. I mean, what 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 do you think, John? Uh, you know, I I think that Voyager was better than its reputation, uh, but at the same time, not good enough to keep everybody. Uh, that's that's a horrible way to say like not good enough. I I, I don't mean not good enough. I don't. I I just mean. I I guess I agree with Max, where it's just like. It, in a sense, it, it it wasn't enough. It it was by this point, we've had it. You know, we we get it. It there's nothing new that you're showing us. And I think, it, please, Shark, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, wasn't there like sort of a conflict about Voyager where they initially wanted to go a little bit more what turned out to be like Battlestar Galactica with it, where there was a little bit more like internal crew conflict and the ship got damaged and and that sort of thing. And then UPN forced them to go with the safer bet. And yeah, I think that, that is essentially what happened. Yeah. They wanted to have a much more continuous storyline because they, they saw that working on DS9 and thought, well, this is perfect for Voyager. And they were absolutely right. I think it would have been a, a major score for Voyager to have done that. It would have worked out much better in the long run. They wanted to try it again with Year of Hell and make that whole story the season four arc. And again, got shot down. It got reduced to a two-parter. The UPN execs, their rationale was, we want episodic television because when this baby goes to syndication, we want to bring in the audience. I, we want them to tune into any episode that's airing at that any time, get drawn into the show, and keep watching it. That was their rationale. That's kind of what they wanted. And ultimately, it's not stood the test of time because look at where TV is at now. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a sense, I mean, like Voyager, Voyager came on around the same time as like X Files, which really ushered in, in a sense. I mean, Twin Peaks really like kicked the door open for it, but like X Files really established the whole mythology arc that it was okay to have that thing where you had to be watching since season one to understand who this character, who Mister X was, or who these different guys that Mulder was talking to were. And I think at least that, for a prime time genre, right? Drama, yeah. It, it was it was new. 
Yeah, yeah cuz Babylon 5 was doing it too, but that there wasn't a whole lot else going on doing this. Right. Yeah, it was also like I mean it was the soap opera thing and it was kind of like a like a uh, like there were primetime soap operas but they were never genre shows with like maybe one exception and that would be Dark Shadows. But that was mm. still a soap opera. So like the X-Files was kind of the first one to to blow it out of the water and make it successful. So I mean I you know Maybe that's just where Voyager bled out the audience was people were ready for that different sort of television. So, but I, mm-hmm. I still think, you know, just getting back to the, you know, sort of the original sentiment is like, I do think it's better than its reputation. I think that it gets unfairly kicked around a lot of times, especially uh, not just by Star Trek fans, but by Star, like Star Trek partial fans, like the people that, that grew up with Kirk and everything. Voyager's the easy dog to like that. It's the easy one to target, you know, yeah, because it's easy that's, to hate on Voyager. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's popular. It's, it's popular to hate Voyager. It's popular to say, Oh, I love Star Trek till Voyager came on. And it's like, eh, that, that doesn't give it enough, enough respect. Yeah, no, I agree. If you're going to hate a Star Trek, it should be Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Even that gets a little too much hate. Season three, I'm exempting no, season three. Not from nearly my enough, statement. really. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say animated series myself, but regardless, in, 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 in terms of Voyager, that doesn't get enough anything. <clears throat> in terms of Voyager, it really does seem to me like not not knowing the history, but just looking at at you know the what, what's on screen, you know. They came out season one. They had an idea for what they wanted to do. And really, before the network was able to get in and say, like, guys, guys, no, 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 you know, they, they were doing some cool stuff. And I, I really do like season one quite a bit. Season two is really the season that turned me off of Star Trek for a, a good long hmm. time. So I can't say that that's a good season. And I think the reason why is because they were kind of just treading water at that point. Like, they had all these grand plans. At the end of season one, it became clear that they weren't going to be able to do any of those things. And then they were just kind of sitting there like, well, then what do we do? You know, <laughs> I guess we just do what we've been doing. And it's like, that's boring. And that's kind of what seasons two and three were. And I, I feel like Taylor perhaps was just kind of like, I give up, you know? I mean, I tried and I give up. And I think what Braga brought to the table, and I think that like seasons four and five are the best seasons of Voyager. I really love seasons four and five, actually. Not maybe that's a little strong. I really like seasons four and five. Actually, you really don't passionately hate those seasons. <laughs> no, I think they're I think they're very good. And if I think you were locked in a room with them, you wouldn't kill one of them quickly. <laughs> it would be a difficult period of time before you figured out. But which would one he you kiss one of them? That's the question. Locked in the room, would he kiss one of them? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would kiss season five totally. Okay, and and I think I think the reason for that, the reason. Uh, why those seasons are good is because Brandon Braga was what the show needed at that particular point in time. That's not but to take not any- what it deserved. <laughs> it's not to take <laughs> oh anything God, away from Taylor, but I think Taylor was I too. It back. <laughs> <laughs> T- Taylor was too close to the show to see what it needed in order to be fixed, whereas Braga was coming in. I think from a different perspective and saying like, look, I didn't develop this show. I, it, I don't have anything emotionally invested in what it could have been. Let's take a look at what it can be. 
and it became something different from what Pillar and Taylor had intended. And I think it became something better. Maybe not something better than what it could have been had Taylor been allowed to do what she had planned on doing. Don't but it became the bush. It it could have been a good show. But instead, but it, they made it acceptable. <laughs> I, 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 I would step that up a little bit. It could have been a great show, but Raga made it into a good show. Uh, and um, it's unfortunate that that happened. And I but feel bad. I feel bad sort of bad mouthing the Taylor years, even though I do think that they're the worst part of that show. But I think there are some lurking variables at play for sure. Well, one thing you got to mention with the Taylor years is also kind of what Michael Piller tried to bring to the show in season two, which you mentioned just a moment ago is your least favorite. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is it because of the Kazon arc? No, it's mainly. I mean, the the the, the single episode that I always point to as being the, the the episode which made me say I don't need to watch Star Trek anymore is Tattoo. <laughs> okay, well, that's understandable because that is an awful, convoluted, boring story that never should have happened. But it was an accumulation. So the Kazon arc was definitely a part of it. Yeah, that. so when they couldn't do the big, long, seasons-long arc idea, they did try to fumble around with this whole thing with the Kazon where they tried to make alliances and they were in battle and then basics parts one and two happened. And when that was not well-received, Michael Piller, I think, kind of threw up his hands and said, okay... I don't know what else to do with this show. I'm out. And then it was ultimately left into Jerry Taylor's hands for season three. And she kind of just kept it going. You know, she went with the very episodic format, uh, had some good moments, had some really not so good moments in season three. And overall, fairly average. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Brandon Braga definitely did put a new spin on it. He really did. And you either love it or you hate it. Hmm. All right. So... Sure, I can fun- do both. <laughs> I know you can, Max. You're really good. I am, I, I am multifaceted. That, yeah. Yeah. Max For example, Parallax, one of the worst things ever made by anyone. <laughs> Even over Tattoo? It, Parallax is worse than Tattoo. I, I like so Parallax. disagree. Yeah, I like Parallax. I would rather see Janeway and Bellana science than to see Chakotay's rear end. That has nothing to do with it. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> have to disagree man but each to her own it's all about that event horizon <laughs> okay okay we've, we've heard about the event horizon before but no but you haven't heard all the swears <laughs> oh i have i have yeah oh you have yeah yeah okay well we should have we, sh- we should do that as bonus content there you patreon go patreon sponsors there you go where all, the uncut version of the analysis of parallax <laughs> i want to hear that okay yeah do a commentary so sure, or something, don't. please. You probably don't. Oh, but now I kind of have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a demand. I don't have to like it. I just, I really just want to hear this happen. Okay. Please. It'll happen. Okay. It'll happen. Okay, yeah. great. Thanks. Yeah. So, Shar, any final thoughts on Jerry Taylor on the whole? On the whole, pretty darn good. Uh, TNG, she definitely worked her way up the ranks very fast for a reason. Because she was a good writer, she got Star Trek, and she made some fantastic stories happen. With the Voyager years, you kind of go down a notch, unfortunately. And I do think that one thing you brought up had a big thing to do with it, and that was the fact that she was too attached to this show. She had such a big hand in creating it. 
she had such a big hand in creating Janeway that it was really hard for her to see past that point of view, you know? This was her baby. And I think it was very hard for her to let go of this baby and uh, maybe do what was right for it rather than what she wanted to do with it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. What about you, John? Great talent in bad circumstances with Voyager. Um, and I, I think that, like, especially if you look at her her next generation work, um, you see that there was somebody that could have turned Voyager into what we all wanted it to be and just, you know, it was just buried by circumstance. Max? I like the baby metaphor quite a bit because I think that, that applies very effectively to Voyager very well. I mean, because, like, Star Trek is kind of like that. I mean, like, people create it and it turns out to not be what they wanted. It's sort of happened a number of times in Star Trek history and I think Voyager's a great example of somebody who had a baby and the baby turned out to not be nearly as smart as they expected it to be. And when they realized that that kid wasn't going to go to an Ivy League school and was probably going to end up a stripper, <laughs> they didn't know what to do. So they were like, I don't know what to do at this point. So they just like, they ended up putting a lot of like, decorations around it trying to have interesting friends come by and just gradually realizing that it was slipping away from them and the only way to handle it was to just go look it's gonna be a stripper it doesn't have to be a cheap one okay so voyager was a classy stripper hell yeah (laughs) okay like vegas style level though like really like big big money stripper I find it a little bit disturbing, and yet I do understand it. Yeah. For, for me, I mean, I feel kind of <laughs> that bad. Like me. <laughs> for, for me, I, I I feel kind of bad, you know, bad mouthing T- Taylor's work on Voyager, because you know that's the biggest thing that she did. The mo- you know, that's the one where her name's right on front of every episode, created by Jerry Taylor and everything like that. And I you know I'm not a big fan of Voyager and. I don't want that to uh, suggest that I'm not a big fan of Taylor because whoever ran season six of Next Generation is awesome. And I don't care if everything else that they did was the biggest load of crap in the history of television. Because if you can do season six of Next Generation, then you're golden in my book and I will watch any television which you decide to put out there because there's that chance that it's going to be amazing. And uh, because of that, I I think that, you know, Jerry Taylor is amazing. I'm a big um, proponent of judging people on their best work instead of their worst work, mm. at least when it comes to movies and television. And I think if you're, you're half right. <laughs> and if you're going to do that, then um, she's she's amazing. I mean... She made one of the best seasons in television history, so there's that. Yeah, that's fair. Well, it's been fun talking about Jerry Taylor's work in Star Trek today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? And he's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge like like I didn't have my spine grown, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey. 
you know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written in the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you know. a chair. He gets a chair. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a warp-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote-unquote, hands clean. The, the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and... Yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Wow. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, and let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. There was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than let's say one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity there is also room for hope literary treks I, I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her you know I was reading Janeway's logs and can you believe that Q got married and has a son continuing mission you're watching the man trap and then for no reason at all, they go into the botany. Well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right. The botanical. <laughs> a, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. And, you know, thankfully it resonated with Alec and, and Christian and you know, here, here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Uh, one way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. 
These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, like that uh, discussion about Parallax, <laughs> producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you want to contact us, you can uh, fill out the form on our website. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. You can also send us a voicemail. We put out a call for three voicemails uh, to, to beat to the journey. I think we got zero. So That's less what than yes, can you do? <laughs> to the journey is still the, 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 the champion. Victorious. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's change that. Let's change that. Yeah. Look, you can, no. you can send a voicemail to Char. Send them to a voicemail us. about how much they suck. Okay. Yeah. Do that. No, yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Sure. That's <laughs> Our fans love us. Anybody, Just, anybody who's listening to To the Journey is thinking, what's with those guys? <laughs> what's with, with us guys or with yeah, those guys? With okay. us guys. With us guys. That's actually, I think, 100% accurate. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you look on the sidebar of the show page, you can uh, click the button there. And send a voicemail or just go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can also find us on Twitter at trekfm or uh, us as a show on Twitter at comtrackstars. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm where you'll find the Babel Conference. That's B-A-B-E-L. Just type that into the search engine and uh, that'll take you there and we'll let you in if you ask. And it's uh, loads of fun. Uh, a lot of cool stuff you can also that. send us an email directly at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Charlene, where can people find you? Well, you can find me with the international sex symbol Tristan Riddell <laughs> every Thursday with To the Journey. To the Journey. To the Journey. Come on, to Max. The journey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We talk everything, all things Voyager. We've even talked Jerry Taylor a couple of times. And so if you uh, want to hear a little bit more about that, well, seek out these episodes. We have an episode list of everything that we've done on To The Journey because we're fast approaching 100 episodes. Excellent. So, Yay. Yeah, you, you, congratulations. you did get that milestone before we did, so congratulations. Oh, thank you. Uh, at least we got something. We don't have any listeners, but at least oh, we've got episodes. Nonsense. <laughs> I to listen every week. <laughs> no, I love you guys. And six. Yeah, one of six, you guys. Am, am I right? Yeah. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, yeah. I nailed it at counting. <laughs> Good job, it's the Max. Small victories. Gold star. <laughs> so, anyway. We've got a list of everything that we have covered, and look up that list, see where we talk about Jerry Taylor, and uh, give that a listen if you haven't already. Also, Where's the list? Oh, I suppose that would help. I think the easiest way to go about it is to go to trek.fm slash TTJ, and you'll have a link from there, because it's this long, convoluted link, and it's got dashes in it, and so just click the link from that page. We need to do that. We need to get on that. Right. We need to have a long, convoluted link with dashes and whatnot. <laughs> we have to get on that. Come yeah. on, guys. Keep up. <laughs> also, you can find me on the Twitter. My handle is oh, the profanity. Yes, it does contain profanity. Excellent. Frequently. <laughs> yeah, good times. Mm -hmm. And, and, mm. and, and uh, John, what about you? Your show? 
Oh, well, you can find me uh, on the weekly podcast, Words with Nerds, uh, rolls off the tongue, uh, at uh, nerdswords.podbean.com, or you can find me trolling the world on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And you can find Max and myself on commentarytrackstars.com, where we do commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon. And it's exactly can... like this, but with much more swearing. Yes, <laughs> yes. And and we will talk about Joel Schumacher if someone brings him up uh, instead of trying to stay on topic. We, we've Please done it so many times. Why one. would we do it again? Please. I don't know. But... He's history's greatest monster. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Forever is a good movie. So oh, I, I swear to God I'm going to come over there and I'm just going to... I'm you're gonna bounce you off the walls. You ever say that again? He will crawl Never. through the internet. <laughs> I, yeah, I, know, I know. like the Adam, like the lawnmower man. I'm gonna come through. Okay, Wait, but fair he enough. couldn't materialize on the other side. Curse you and your facts. Per, we, we can talk about this on on off topic okay. on commentarytrackstars.com. You can also find Max and myself on Twitter at comtrackstars, and you can find me personally on Twitter at mumbles3k. All right, hopefully. One of those places will be easy for you guys to find someone. All right. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, and all of our other shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. You can even get... The Voyager books by Jerry Taylor. Indeed, you now, can. What? Shar, you've read these books, right? I have read them and I have heard them. And what do you think? Well, the audiobooks are fantastic for what they are because they are read by superb people. Mosaic is the biography of Captain Catherine Janeway as written by Jerry Taylor, and it is narrated by Kate Mulgrew, who of course plays Captain Janeway, so that's fantastic. And there's also Pathways, which explores the backstories of all the other uh, main crew members aboard Voyager, and that is narrated by Robert Picardo. So you can imagine how good that is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to hear Robert Picardo's uh, Catherine Janeway. I, <laughs> I imagine that's pretty cool. <laughs> He's pretty good with the voices. Yeah, it's good stuff. And I, I'm going to say that these books are canon. So. Yeah, they're canon in my canon as well. Yeah, she wrote them. She was a show runner, show writer. How can it not be canon? I mean, she snuck things from Mosaic onto Voyager. Right. So there you go. Right. Definitely and, part of the war. So, and you can get these books for free since you listen to Trek FM. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Well, that's about it for Jerry Taylor's work on Star Trek. Uh... Thanks for joining us, Shar. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. And we will be back next week to look at the first show which Jerry Taylor produced, Quincy M.E. <laughs> <laughs>